Welcome to the Pet Loss Companion. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio. I'm here with my friend and co-author Nancy Saxton Lopez, and this is a program that we do live on Facebook and YouTube every Thursday from six o'clock to about six thirty, give or take. And it is an opportunity to expand our reach when it comes to the kind of information that we shared in our book, The Pet Loss Companion: Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups. We have been leading pet loss groups for ever. <laughs> Man, she's been doing it for more than 30 years. I've been doing it for more than 14 years. And this medium allows us to reach people in a little bit of a different way. And a lot of what we do on this program is we share stories that are sent to us by members of the audience. So if you would like to send us your story, please consider doing that. We know that people are extraordinarily gratified to hear other people's experiences of loss and yes. healing. And so if you would like to send a note, you can send an uh, email to me at kenddv at gmail.com or to nancy at nsaxtonlopez at csmpc.com or to both of us. That again, Nancy's address because it's very long. I'll say it again. It's N S A X T O N L O P E Z at csmpc.com. All of this information that I'm sharing in the beginning is also in the description that is attached to either the video cast or the podcast, wherever you may see this program. You can also send us a note and suggest a topic for us to discuss or a guest for us to discuss. We've had some very interesting guests, several of whom who have been recommended by audience members and sometimes by audience members who recommend themselves. <laughs> and then we, we, we have them come and talk with us. You can support our work in a number of ways through Venmo, through PayPal, through monthly subscription. Uh, and again, all of that, the details can be found in the description. This program is a friend of Dakin Humane Society in Springfield, Mass. For more information on Dakin, see the program description and dakinhumane.org. That's D-A-K-I-N-H-U-M-A-N-E.org. Dakin offers a whole bunch of different programs and resources in addition to an animal shelter where they have dogs and cats and guinea pigs and all kinds of animals, birds. And they, one of the programs that they sponsor is a monthly cost-free Zoom pet loss support group that I facilitate. It's usually on the second Tuesday of the month. It runs 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. And you can find the RSVP link in the program description. And the next one will be on June 13th, again, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can Zoom in again, cost-free from anywhere in the world. We have very interesting conversations. We have people join from all over the English-speaking world and all over the world where people have taken it upon themselves to learn English. <laughs> so it's always an interesting and very soulful and yeah. poignant and helpful conversation. Please consider subscribing to the program on YouTube. If you find this program valuable, doing so will raise this program on the list of resources that are suggested to people who are seeking help with pet loss. So if you subscribe, it affects the algorithm in a way that makes the program more accessible to others. And with that, I'll hand the 
program over to Nancy. Yeah, we have uh, two stories this evening, and you know they have a lot to do with a very one of the most pertinent topics that we talk about, which is euthanasia. And in some ways, I guess we're lucky to have that option, so our, our beautiful companion animals don't have to suffer. Um, it's becoming, though, more prevalent, I think, with humans. Some states do have laws now that you can have your own assisted suicide. New Jersey is one of them. I think there's a whole process to go over. With that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also, it's, you know, really hits home for me today because I'm working with my brother-in-law who we have, Jackie, who died in March. This is his last living son. And Rocky is, is such, he's such a sweet boy. Um, he was the only fawn pug out of, out of a sea of black. Um, but he's quadriplegic and he's not doing well. He's 16. So I'm trying to, um, you know, help him decide and go through the process of end of life. So it's a little, it's sad, you know, for us. Um, and so it's a euthanasia decision, right? So the first story I'm going to share is from Alex. Um, my name is Alex, and I recently discovered your podcast the day after having to put down my best friend and biggest emotional support I have ever had in the world. It's funny because the podcast I found was uploaded the same day we had to take her to the vet for euthanasia, which was March 30th. And I could really relate to Emily and Abby's story. You are more than welcome to share the story if you would like and hopes that it will one day find someone who can relate and hopefully help them heal from their loss as well. I adopted, I think it's Chiba, a chocolate pit bull back in June of 2014 at nine months old as a birthday present, and I couldn't have asked for a greater companion than her. Everyone that ever met her instantly fell in love as she was the nicest and most loving dog you could ever meet with a little bit of sass that was unmatched. Through thick and thin, Chiba was there with me every step of the way and became a pivotal part of my day-to-day -day life. She was always there with her ear-to-ear -ear smile, the 1,000-mile-per-hour tail wag, and loads of love and compassion to help me work through whatever was hurting me, whether it was the loss of a loved one, losing my job, and being on the verge of homelessness, how sad, or recovering from a life-threatening surgery. I couldn't have asked for a better fur baby. On Wednesday, March 22, 2023, she started to develop a bit of a cough and some heavy labor breathing and panting. Initially, we thought maybe it was allergies or that she overworked herself being the racehorse she thought she was. But as the days passed, her breathing only shallow and faster, and she was becoming more lethargic with each passing day. Fast forward to the following Tuesday, March 28th. 2023, Chiba could no longer walk more than five to 10 steps without collapsing and needing to rest while gasping for air, making going to the bathroom or any other physical task almost impossible. She had completely stopped eating her food for at least three days and at this point had lost close to 15 pounds. That's a lot, you yeah, know, for a dog. This was earth shattering. My baby girl who would bum rush through the house like a day at the races could no longer walk from her bed to the living room without taking a massive toll on her physically, completely winding her. 
I took her to a local vet that day, and after a series of blood tests and x-rays, the vet tech came into the room alone, and I knew at that moment my baby girl's life had changed forever. Chiba had congestive heart failure. Her heart was twice the size it should be, and she had so much fluid buildup around her lungs that the doctors couldn't even see the right side of her heart in their x-rays. I was told she could have anywhere from two days to two months to two years if we started a series of medications to help her heart and drain the fluid, but it wasn't a guarantee. Euthanasia was also brought up, but I wasn't ready to give her up on my best friend yet, and I opted for the medication in hopes it would turn this around, but I knew that it wouldn't fix the problems permanently, only make them more manageable and hopefully give some kind of quality of life improvement. After two more days, her condition, her condition continued to get worse, and the medication was not working at removing the fluids from her lungs. At this point, I could either take her to the ER in hopes they could drain the fluid, but with a hefty price tag, and no guarantee it would even help her situation long-term. That just was not feasible, and my wife and I's current standing. On March 30th, after spending the past week of restless nights hearing her cough and gasp for air in the middle of the night, I could no longer watch my baby suffer, and we made the hardest decision we have ever had to make, euthanasia. After making the appointment, we had some time to give her her best possible day we could as her last. We went to Wendy's and got her a vanilla frosty, her favorite treat, and we stopped by my parents' house so she could spend time with my parents and siblings, who were all a major part of her life as well. Even through all the pain, I've never seen a wider smile on her face than I did that day, and I will always remember how she buried her head in my arms as if she were thanking me when we got back into the car to head to the vet. Just before the procedure, we had tried to give her a chocolate kiss, the forbidden treat, and she gave us so much sass about not wanting it, and it was everything I would expect from her and more, showing me that regardless of whatever she was facing, it was still my baby in there. The process was so hard on my wife and I, but being there in her final moments and watching her finally relax and take that last breath was relieving and destroying at the same time. My baby girl was no longer in pain, but we could no longer continue our story alongside her, and the thought of that still weighs on my mind. This all happened the day before my wife and I are closing on a new house, and I feel so broken that now I have to start a new chapter of our lives without her, especially given the fact that I've worked the past nine years to try to and provide the house and the yard she deserved. Now her brother, Lucifer, our seven-year-old black cat, and Chiba's best friend and brother will have to move on as well without his big sissy there to protect him. I only hope that when we bring her ashes home, he will understand because he will search the house constantly for her and lay in her bed howling for her to come back. It's a sad way to start, which should be an exciting new experience and chapter for us as a family, and I wish she could be here to enjoy it with us. I have so many visions of her running in that yard, and unfortunately none of them will ever come true. Chiba would have been 10 years old as of, of September this year. I know what we did was the right thing, but I can't help but feel so powerless and destroyed by how quick things went from zero to 100 in a matter of days. Looking back at all the previous times over the year that she had the same cough that started it all really made me regret not being more proactive at visiting the vet. 
Maybe I was trying to ignore the ever-looming reality of her mortality, or maybe I was just being selfish and not wanting to face the facts, but I feel like her condition could have been prevented or managed better had I intervened sooner. This is all still so fresh for me, and every little thing reminds me of her, and I have a long road ahead to heal from this tragedy. But if I had any advice to give to other pet owners, I would say don't talk yourself out of going to the vet. Just because it was something small like a cough doesn't mean that one day it might not have a huge impact on their health, and you don't want to feel as though you let your fur baby down in the long run. I don't blame myself, but it's hard knowing that we had, if we had done regular checkups, this could have been caught before it was too far gone. Thank you for allowing me to share the story, and I hope it will one day help someone who is struggling with pet loss as well. Wow. Oh, so sad. And of course, he would have that guilt, right? Yeah. You, we have we always have that right. guilt. It, I, it, I remember this quote which i'm looking for he said you know, i would uh, being there in her final moments and watching her relax and take that last breath was relieving and destroying oh i, I know i really reacted to that the first time i read that because it's, it's very, so very powerful right? very powerful and and i i feel like his description of what he's going through is very measured and mm -hmm. and clear and he's saying you know we got to try to catch things when they're just starting. And at the same time, I'm not, I'm not blaming myself. No. And I think that that's yeah. really good because, you know, when dogs cough or sneeze or whatever, a lot of times it's very benign. What's what's going yeah. on. It's I not, mean, most it's times it's benign. Like yeah. I mean, most of the time it's not something that is so devastating and, and, when it becomes very chronic, that's when we notice it. So I think it's really important for people to to heed what Alex says. And certainly if if our animal companion seems to be having some kind of difficulty to to go to the, the vet and have it checked out. But I also think that what he's describing is the typical kind of if only I could have seen this I could in reality, have no most most people would not have seen. Like most of us right. would not have thought that the coughing was that extreme or extraordinary, or you know, we we wouldn't have caught it because we're not we're not omniscient, we're not prescient, we can't see the future. So we do that when we're grieving, right? We, we give ourselves these kinds of um, guilt trips that are not realistic, but very typical. And and the and that whole thing, what to go back to that quote you know, it was relieving and destroying. There's so many feelings that you have yeah. in euthanasia, yeah. right? Because if your animal is suffering and, and Chiba was suffering, she couldn't breathe. And that is just, I mean, I have pugs. I mean, they when they were got sick and they couldn't breathe, it was, it was a nightmare, yeah. It, yeah. you know, of a feelings of how, I mean, is she okay? What are we going to do? Should we go to the vet? I mean, it it's excruciatingly difficult. But it was, of course, it was so sad that and devastating that she died. But it was a relief in the context of, wow, she doesn't have to worry anymore. I, yeah, I have to say, I feel like they gave their... Chiba or Chiba, a good death. 
They really did. I mean, we all have to die someday. And they were very deliberate and very thoughtful. And they, they, they're very loving. They took into consideration their whole situation. They took into consideration the idea that, you know, I guess we could, we could spend this enormous amount of money, money. Mm -hmm. probably not going to actually give her much of, if any relief. And they were just very thoughtful about, let's not do that. Let's, let's, let's have a great time with her for her last Last time. And then, and then let her, let her go peacefully. And money is an issue. And a lot of of people are so torn with that conflicted. They would say, I would do anything, pay anything for my animal. But sometimes that's not possible. Yeah. yeah, And especially in consideration of what, in this case, Sheba's Sheba's time was, you know, how much longer did she really have? So So we have a comment. Thank thank you to Alex. It's so so we have a comment from Beth Ann who says this is extremely so extremely relatable to so many of us. I remember feeling the same way, losing my cat last year, sending so much love. So mm-hmm. that's a nice comment for Alex and anybody else who is relating to this. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Beth Ann. So we'll go on to another story. And and the circumstances are as they always are. They're different, but they're similar too. Of course. And and so this is from Catherine, and she writes, "Dear Ken and Nancy, I'm writing to share my story and hopefully get some advice on feelings of guilt, so regret, cool. and deep feelings of grief after losing my cat of 17 and a half years. You're welcome to share my letter and my name if you think it will help someone else. We do think this will help someone else." <laughs> Catherine, so thank you so much for allowing us to share. In 2005, my husband and I bought our first house. We had a dog, but no children yet. I had a beloved cat growing up and always wanted one as an adult. There was a no-kill shelter in the town where we lived, and I said, let's go save a kitty. When we got to the shelter, I remember the overwhelming smell of cat urine, and I was overcome with emotion. There were so many kittens available for adoption, but I asked to see the ones they had the longest. They took me in the back room where they had two older cats in cages. I didn't stand, I couldn't stand it. I had to get them out of there. There was a vet volunteering his time that day. And he said one was probably 18 years old and the other was around eight. They didn't know much else about the cat's history. I renamed them both thinking they should have new names and a new chance at life. Vernita Green and the other, the older kitty and Beatrix Kiddo was the younger one. Good (laughs) names. So Vernita Green was the older one and Beatrix Kiddo was the younger one. They both transitioned easily into our home and got along fine with our gentle giant dog. But it was only a few months before Vernita started to decline. She was a shy cat that spent most of her time under a bed or in a quiet space alone. But she was very old, and I didn't bother her to try to get her to be with us. One day, when she didn't come out to eat, I found her in a closet, drooling and breathing hard. I rushed her to the vet, who told me she looked terrible, and asked why I hadn't come in sooner. I felt terrible. They recommended I put her down. I promised myself I would do better with Beatrix and not let her ever get to that point. So not a very thoughtful veterinarian. 
No. And there are a lot of reasons, and, and she described them, why we sometimes let an animal have its space. So anyway, we'll go on. Beatrix was complete was a completely different cat. She was a chubby Abyssinian mix. She loved everyone. Let me show Beatrix. Yeah, I think there are pictures, right? We have Beatrix. Here's oh. beautiful. Beatrix was beautiful. Yeah. Beatrix with a little baby girl. <laughs> and also girls. here's more Beatrix. Oh, Beatrix was a beautiful cat. I love seeing the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> she loved everyone and was always on someone's lap. One day I discovered blood on the kitchen floor. And when I got her to the vet, they said she had a severe bladder infection. But they were shocked at how mellow she was acting and said she must have a high threshold for pain. A few years later, I found her in her backyard, pawing at her mouth. And she looked like she was gagging. I rushed her to the emergency vet where they discovered her tongue was severed. Severed. And they had to give her 20 stitches. Mm. We still don't know how it happened, but she recovered quickly. And again, they said how amazing she was handling the pain. So Beatrix had been through a lot. Years went by without incident. I had two children who she loved so much. I never saw her hiss or get angry at anyone. I always talked about the Tao of B. <laughs> because if you stepped on her tail or bumped her, she would come right over and snuggle to let you know she didn't take it personally and she knew it was an accident. Unlike some cats I've known. <laughs> I wanted to be more like her and not take things personally. When my kids would play chess on the floor, she would sit right in the middle of the game. She loved being with us. She only scratched my son once, and I'm sure he deserved it, but still she was ready to snuggle with him right afterward. We all loved her so much. My son was terrified after seeing E.T. when he was five. He struggled at bedtime, but we discovered that if Beatrix was with him, he could fall asleep. Sleep tight. Don't let the bed bugs bite. Put B on me, he would ask each night. <laughs> B's favorite thing was when one of us was sick because she knew it would be an all-day snuggle session. About two and a half years ago, when we think she was about 21, she stopped eating and declined quickly. I rushed her to our vet, who thought she just needed dental work, but discovered after blood work that she had hyperthyroidism and her kidneys were failing. We put her on prescription food, and she had pills twice a day. It took a couple of weeks to get her stabilized, but she seemed to be doing pretty well. However, it was six months into the pandemic, and I had developed severe anxiety while helping my children navigate the difficult task of distance learning. I don't know how parents did that. Yeah. That was an unbelievable thing to be to have to manage children and their learning and also do your life, which maybe you were working as well. Really an incredibly stressful time. When B got sick and completely freaked out, I couldn't stop crying that she was going to die. And I kept thinking about Vernita and that I didn't want it that way. Beatrix went from being a cat I was always trying to keep from getting too fat to a cat that was super picky and would like only one food for a while and then refuse it. I threw away a lot of expensive cat food trying to get her to eat. I obsessed about it. She would only eat it if it was freshly put out. So I would run to get it when I would see her going to her bowl. It was difficult if we wanted to go anywhere as I needed her to have meds and food throughout the day. We canceled our first trip to Hawaii because I didn't want to be so far from her if something happened. 
she would have small hunger strikes for a day or two and my anxiety would skyrocket. But then she'd eat again and seem to bounce back. Each time though, I thought, is this, is this it? The vet thought she would probably only live about three months. The roller coaster of anxiety for me was terrible. I was always rushing home to get her to eat. About six months ago, I noticed one of her eyes was completely full, full of blood. She was already completely deaf, so I was really concerned about her also going blind. The vet said it was pink eye and gave me ointment, but I just didn't think that was right. The next, then next, the other eye was red also. So I rushed her to the emergency vet, insisting that it looked like her retinas had detached, just from what I could see from the internet. And then, and they should get her something for hyperthyroidism. The ophthalmologist agreed, and we were able to save a little bit of sight in one of her eyes. Again, she didn't seem to mind since her favorite thing to do was cuddle. But she did start to really seem annoyed with all the meds I was forcing down her throat. The only time I felt like she gave me a dirty look was after getting her meds, and she would start getting sneaky about spitting them out. I started crushing her meds and putting them in her food, but now I needed her more than ever to eat. She was also not staying very warm anymore, so I put out a heating pad for her on our sofa, and she mostly spent her time there, preferring it to our cozy laps. I couldn't find someone I trusted to care for her, so we only went to our vacation home a few hours away so we could take her with us. She liked it for a while and didn't seem to mind the drive in a carrier between the kids, but the last time we took her in January, she peed in the carrier and seemed disoriented when we got there. I decided we shouldn't take her anymore. I don't feel like she recovered from that last trip. She stopped eating about a week later. I tried everything. Usually I could get her to eat something like tuna or chicken, even though it wasn't good for her, but this time she just wouldn't eat anything. I put an appetite stimulant in her ear, the vet gave me, but it didn't help. I've never heard that before. Mm. But it yeah, didn't. neither. She was drinking a lot and peeing a lot. Being that I calculated her being somewhere around 25, I couldn't help but think, okay, is this it? Two weeks went by and she barely picked at food every three or four days. I put out fresh food for her all the time, offering her all the options of prescription food. Finally, I watered her. I watered down her food and, squirting some, and squirted some in her mouth. I told myself I would never force feed her. She looked angry at me, and I told her I was sorry. I begged her to eat. She was so skinny, and her poor body was so bony. She stumbled around and looked uncomfortable. I could smell ammonia on her mm. breath, and the vet said she wasn't able to flush the toxins out of her system. She couldn't get comfortable in our laps anymore and would only sleep on her heating pad. She hadn't groomed herself in months and didn't like being brushed anymore. I thought about how much pain she was probably hiding, and I made an appointment for home euthanasia. But his schedule was busy, and he could only come on a day my husband was gone, and I really wanted him to be home to help me bury her. I decided I would have her put down at the vet's office. She usually woke up woke me up around 4 a.m. each day, meowing loudly downstairs. She couldn't hear me call to her anymore, so I would find her and hold her. But the last morning I had with her, she was disoriented and wandering around meowing despite my trying to hold her or sit with her. 
It was raining out and she wanted to go out. I don't let her outside anymore since she's so vulnerable, but I put on my raincoat and she just wandered in a loop from our laundry room through the yard and in the dining room. She did this several times, meowing the whole time. I thought she was looking for something. Finally, around 8.30, she settled down and fell asleep. Just before our appointment that afternoon, I saw her for the first time in days take a few licks of food. Then she went and laid down by my son. I was so confused, but we went to the appointment anyway. A day too soon is better than a day too late, I kept telling myself. When we got to the vet, I expected them to see her and say, yes, it's time. But instead, they wanted to push fluids, appetite stimulant, and anti-nausea meds. I thought there's no way I can keep shoving things down her throat. I didn't want to mess with her anymore. The vet said it wouldn't help her to gain any weight, but that she could last maybe another six weeks. I thought, how can I make her drag on like this? And my husband and son had just said goodbye, and my daughter insisted on coming with me. I looked at my poor kitty, and I just wanted to scream. My, my daughter and I talked about it for about 30 minutes, but decided that Beatrix had been through enough, and we had to put her to sleep. Immediately, I wanted to take it back, to scream at them to stop. I thought I would feel relief for her, but I felt terror and the feeling I had murdered her. I've been racked with guilt. She could be here now, and I feel like I gave up on her. I feel like I couldn't take the constant work of keeping her alive and the terrible anxiety it was giving me. But now it's worse. I was trying to brush my son's teeth the next day, and I couldn't stop shaking. I kept reliving the experience. She was agitated at the vet's office and was crying when they administered the first dose of meds to relax her. I feel like she was terrified, and I hate that 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 was the last moment of her life. I should have done it at home where she loved to be and dealt with burying her myself. I wanted to give her a better life and I feel like I messed it up in the end. I'm really struggling to deal with this feeling and I wish so bad I could go back and do it differently. I also miss her so much and I wish I had hung in there to keep her with us a little longer. I'm torn between my fears of it going on too long like for Anita or if I did it too soon. I don't yeah. feel like I can be sad and grieve for her since I made the choice to end her life. I remember when I rescued her and wanted to save her and give her a good life. I didn't realize how much she would give to me. She is imprinted on every inch of this house. I see her everywhere. She wanted to be in my lap, at the dinner table, in the bathroom, in our beds. It's mm -hmm. hard to be home when the kids are at school. It's so quiet and her absence is breaking my heart. I asked my husband if I did the right thing and he just looked at me and he says, yes, she was 25. It's been a month and I still can't stop thinking about it constantly. I wake in the middle of the night, can't stop replaying the last day and the moments with her. I'm bargaining, hoping I can do it differently. Cuddling with her would always make me feel better when things were sad or hard. The one thing I feel could make me better. The one thing I feel could make me feel better is gone. I really hope someday I can feel better and rescue another cat. But now nothing can replace her. I know this was long and there's more about her I could say. I just wish things had gone down differently in the end. And I wish I could tell her I'm sorry. Thanks for reading this. Oh, the guilt is palpable. Now yes. I will say this that I have a little issue with. Uh -huh. She was ready to do that. Yeah. 
with her daughter and the vets came in and in their opinion said, what are you doing? We can't do this, this, and this. I know that was, that that was really sad to hear because, you know, they had been working with this for so long and they had come to this very painful decision. And it sounded like, it sounded like the vet was trying to just do procedures, you know, and, and, and now, not and, listening and we, to their client. Right. But I also, I think that she wanted to do it at home, but those vets knew that cat. They yeah, knew, yeah. they knew her. Right. And so you would think that it, it, when, I mean, Beatrice, she was getting bones, you know, she was, she was howling. She wasn't able to be comfortable. She was walking all, all over. She couldn't, I mean, you would think, because unfortunately, I just think that that complicated, you know. Oh, I think it, I think it added yeah. so much yeah. unnecessary pain and uncertainty. Yeah. And I'm very glad that she and her daughter sat and talked about it. Right. And then said, no, it's her time. Because they knew. They knew. Obviously, they knew better because they lived with her. Right. And she was not eating and she was emaciated and she was, she was not happy. She was she was in great discomfort. So they definitely made the right decision. And I hope yeah. I hope that Catherine knows that, that they made the right decision. I also she said something that I don't know that I've heard before. And that is I don't feel like I can be sad and grieve for her since I made the choice to end her life. Mm. That's really really something really really hard and and she didn't make a choice to end her life she made a choice to end her suffering that's right the the, (laughs) what was going on with beatrix was killing her not catherine you know she she was beatrice was struggling and what catherine and her family did was allow her to die in peace yeah and not struggle yeah there was no, there was nothing left but more suffering. Right. That's all that there would have been. And she gave her a wonderful gift in letting her ease right. out of this life rather than suffer for a bit any longer. And it sounds like she was suffering yeah. a lot. And they were doing a lot of stuff to keep her comfortable, but mm-hmm. they made a really good judgment about the the timing of this, the I timing. think. And then what comes up like the part of that guilt, that especially Vernita, right, yeah, who was yeah. the first cat, and not being there quick enough, and now she say, "Is it too quick? Is it too late?" You know, and that's such a typical thing that we always heard. Yep. Oh yeah, that, yeah. It's, uh, yeah you know, I don't want to do it. I, I, the timing is often the thing that lingers in at the center of guilt is this timing and i think that they were very thoughtful and very Mm -hmm. deliberate and i i am happy for them that they persevered and said no it's time well and she says at the end i remember when i rescued her i wanted to save her and give her a good life catherine you did you gave her the best five years (laughs) and she was at the center of a very loving family she was yeah. all over them she was an empathic member of their family she knew when they were sick and she would cuddle with them 
and they she, were so attuned to each other and the unfortunate part as we all know they don't live long they don't live long i mean she she kept her son feeling like he could fall asleep when he was yeah. frightened it was so sweet there was a there was, a, there was just a great life that they gave yeah. to beatrice you gave them and to Vernita too. Here are people. How, who are who are the pe these people who have such big hearts? They go into a stinking shelter and they say, "Give me your Give hard me the luck." Worst, yeah, your the ones that have been here. Luck cases, the right, worst of the, the worst. longest. Right, and they're not like we're getting out of here because this is a hellhole. <laughs> they're like we're going to rescue two of these cats because this is a hellhole. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, I mean, Catherine. Yes, I mean. You did, you gave, she gave you a great life. You gave her a great life and yep. she'll always be with you yep. and your yep. family. So and we like, want to, we yeah, want to say thank thanks so very much, much Catherine for sharing this story and, and also to Alex. Alex as well. We really appreciate it. Yep. And nice talking with you as always, Nancy. Okay, Ken. Take care everyone.